All right. Hello. Good morning. Uh, wakey, wakey, everybody. <laughs> there we go. Let's just make sure all is well here. Yep. Okay, good. Hi. Welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the live edition. Thought I would go live today. I was planning on doing a pre-recording, but um, events overtook me yesterday. And um, if I'm being honest, maybe maybe a little bit of laziness as well. And I thought, well, let's just go live tomorrow. You guys uh, always enjoy it when we do that. And I always enjoy talking with you guys uh, one-on-one, engaging with my critics, as I like to say. So, um, so here we are. Hey, everybody. Good. Everything's looking all good. Yes, did get my hair cut. Thank you for noticing. All right. Um, Yes. Okay, well, we are, let's go ahead and throw the uh, comments box up on the screen there. And uh, let's see, as folks come on board and we are welcoming everybody and the questions start rolling in, I just wanted to say it's been nice to have a relatively calm week <laughs> this last week versus the uh, kind of uh, anxiety-ridden uh, nonsense that was going on a few weeks before that. So uh, very glad that things are are calming down, and I've I'm drinking out of a glass today, not a can. Um, so I'll let you all guess what I'm drinking. <laughs> all right, enough of that. So let's see here. Um, we have questions uh, beginning already, which is great. I wanted to say, what did I want to say? I wanted to say that it's really interesting. I was tweeting a little bit this morning with some thoughts about some things about, um, you know, how good hate feels, (laughs) you know, how righteous we can get ourselves riled up to be and how that can drive us to make demands on very unreasonable demands on other people. We can adopt an, an incredibly skewed view of reality and of other people because of our hate, because of our emotions, because of how we get riled up and we're just so damn sure we are right. And the thing that really bothers me and, um, well, yeah, it's always bothered me about it. And, it. and it bothers me with myself too. I, you know, please understand when I, talk about these things. I'm talking about myself just as much as I'm talking about anybody else out there and criticism of this. But it's really something how the thinking just shuts down. Once you've decided you know what's going on and you are righteous about it and you are sure they're wrong and you're right, man, it's like just all the ability to think about that topic just flies right out the window. It's and so, and the problem with that is trying to address it or deal with it with some information or some facts or, well, here's a different point of view, is just reject it outright. And it's a waste of time. And that's one of the reasons why I don't do that, is, uh, is I don't want to engage with that. But it's, uh, but it's hard, man. It's hard to just let that kind of stuff go sometimes, isn't it? Vienna, Austria. Oh, my God. Wow, wow, wow. Um, yes. So, so, so fun here. Okay, so let me pull up my little chat box here because I've, I've made this, pulled this up so that we could do uh, questions on the screen as we're going here. Let me go back and see if, uh, and now that I'm ready to start taking questions from y'all and we've got you guys on board here, let's go ahead and get to it. Um, 
So, looking, sounded, da-da-da-da-da. Okay, Vernon throws a question at me here. How far did Lisa Marie get on the bridge? I have absolutely no idea. I was never privy to any information about Lisa Marie as a Scientologist when I was in, and I have not heard or learned anything about that since I've gotten out. So I'm sorry that I don't know the answer to that, but I do not know. Uh, Maybe there will be some um, commentary on that or some comments or some talk about that uh, when Tony does his article on that. I think that's coming up uh, this week. He announced he had a bombshell article about Lisa Marie, an interview that he did with her uh, where she talks quite candidly about Scientology. And I am personally very much looking forward to that because I have not had a whole lot of direct information about her myself as a Scientologist. She was never, ever on my radar. She was, she, Tom Cruise, you know, like, like these high, high super stratosphere level celebrities are people that very few Sea Org members or Scientologists are going to have any direct knowledge of. It is really kept, all the information about that level of people is kept very close to the vest. Very, very, uh, very secretive. Okay. All right. So let's carry on here. Toronto, Canada. All right. And yes, this is my Batman Cola. That's right. Uh, what's, okay, let's see here. Okay, here's a question. Atypical Paul, what's your biggest pet peeve in your day-to-day life? I'll tell you uh, what my biggest pet peeve is. And I, and again, I see this in myself as well as others. Doesn't mean I'm okay with it. Doesn't mean I don't get on myself about it and get on other people about it. And that is hypocrisy. I can't stand it, man. It just drives me crazy. You know, you, you, you. When you're willing to see both sides of a picture or you're willing to step back and start looking at the flaws in your own systems and the flaws in your own thinking and and your own side, because we all have sides and we take sides and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're not willing to look at the flaws and problems and and the, the, the way your side deals with things... Right, left, black, white, whatever. I'm not, you know, it's that it's not even about politics. I'm talking about could be anything, but whatever it is, the thing that's drive that drives me crazy is when I can when I can see in myself or others how they will project their own fallacies and when what they're doing right there in the moment on their enemies. You know, my you know these guys never you know, whatever, never show a whit of compassion to their enemies. And you're like, well, what are you doing right now? Like it's, and that's a bad example. That's really a poorly thought out example, but just this kind of like self-contradicting hypocrisy of, well, the other side does this all the time. And you're kind of like, yeah, but so do you. And you don't see it because you're so blinded by your own righteousness and goodness that you can't see it. And that's kind of where that, where I was going earlier with some of those, the emotions get so riled up that we, that we stop thinking about what we're even saying or, or, or doing. And it's, uh, it's perfectly natural. It's perfectly normal. It's not anything we're going to necessarily do a whole lot about. But when you ask me about pet peeves, that's what comes to mind. (laughs) It's just, oh, I wish we could be better at that. You know, so that we weren't accusing other people of what we ourselves are doing all the time and vice versa. You know, being accused by other people that you know damn well their only reason they're saying those things is because that's what they're getting up to. And we see this in politics all the time. We see this in religion all the time. 
it's really annoying, you know. And then the and then on top of it is the whataboutism. That's the other big pet peeve I have. Any subject, any situation, right? Is uh, you bring up or highlight a point or a, an issue. You go, well, you know, this individual has done this thing, and I find that to be a problem. Oh yeah, well your guy did the same thing. Da, 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 da. And you're like. That wasn't really the point I was making, and you really didn't address anything I said because you just accuse, you know, when an accusation is met with another accusation kind of thing. Uh, why can't we just talk about the situation and just have that conversation? Why do we have to be, you know, all right all the time? Uh, you know what I mean. Okay, anyway, uh, let's carry on here. Thank you for that question, Paul. Um, <laughs> drinking game, okay. I do not have alcohol in here. I'll put it that way, despite what some of you might might think. Uh, let's see here. Um, drinking game, I'm referring to you there. Okay, Vernon asks, um, did you know Leah Remini when both of you were in Scientology? No, I met Leah and started interacting with her and became friends with her after Scientology as, uh, as ex-Scientologists. And wasn't it interesting, it was so interesting to me how much our timelines paralleled in certain ways in terms of when we got in, when we got out, when we started talking, how it all worked. Of course, she has, you know, far more influence than I do, but I just still thought it was funny, uh, the parallels in our stories. But uh, no, I didn't know her when, when we were in Scientology. All right, uh, let's keep going here. Yes, exactly. Um, oh, okay. Hi, Henny. Let's go ahead and uh, tackle a tough one here. Henny, I hate to ask this question, but I'm having serious anxiety about our violent behavior towards each other. Why does this animalistic shit continue throughout humanity? Yeah, I get it. Um, obviously, the answer is uh, that there are a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reasons people engage in. And, and you know, I know a lot of you are very, very riled up and upset right now about this uh, thing, I think, that came out of Memphis with this five police officers literally beating a man to death. And that's rough, and that is, and that speaks goes right back to my talks on the police uh, back in you know two years ago. I think it was summer 2020 when the riots and BLM protests and things were happening, and I put out some podcasts and some thoughts about my ideas about how to deal with that. It's a difficult, difficult problem. But in terms of your question here, Henny, in terms of asking about you know our base impulses and all of that. This is something we're going to struggle with for the rest of our species' existence. It's part and parcel of who and what we are, is to be violent. Uh, animals around the world engage in violent behaviors 24-7. That's how they resolve situations and problems. Uh, we have evolved certain reactions and responses that are better than that, in that they are not violent and not destructive, and we have society and social hierarchies and power structures structures and relationships and we develop these ideas of compassion and empathy and tolerance these are unique to humans as far as i can tell in the de to the depth with which we take these concepts and operate on them um, and in the in the big wide world you see things that could be interpreted as compassionate or empathetic behavior in in the animal kingdom but it's you know we have our questions and doubts about how much of that is driven by true altruism versus 
versus, um, you know, selfish behavior disguised as altruism. And of course, that all applies to people too. Hope I'm not getting too, you know, whatever here, but it's just, it's a multi-layered problem. But the bottom line is violent impulses and the, um, the anger that drives those things is, is a part of us and it's never going to go away. It's never, ever going to be solved any more than our brains categorizing things is ever going to be solved. Well, that's just how we think and what we do, which is why all the isms will continue to plague us through history, uh, through the future. Uh, they're not going anywhere. And what we can do is what is is temper these, these things, these impulses and these um, sort of bad uh, or not well thought out, you know, <laughs> consequences of, of our categorization. In other words, our brains categorize all the time, 24-7. That's all they're doing. This is a this, this is a this, this is a this. That's how we sort the world out and understand reality as we categorize. And so, you know, all the isms that we have problems with, sexism, racism, you know, bigotry, all that stuff, are categorization problems where we're not going to stop categorizing. So instead, what we need to do is uh, hopefully learn how to categorize in such a way that we're not riling up all the emotions while we're doing it. And that's damn near impossible when people have... Uh, conflict. They have vested interests. I want this. You want that. We're at loggerheads. We're in opposition to each other. And then we're going to come up with all the reasons why we need to stay at, in opposition to each other. And that's where all the, you know, all the isms come out of. So, you know, you ask, well, you know, how, why does this stuff continue throughout humanity? It's because it's the, it's the, well, it's the way life evolved, but it's also, how we solve problems. It's how we deal with things. It's the negative side of how we deal with things. So kind of like cult belief and religious mania and extremism is the opposite side of the coin from having creative thought and imagination and the ability to conceive new ideas and concepts. Because we have that ability of imagination and, and, and conceptualization, we also have extremism of belief and ideas, and we can create create fantasies and pretend they're reality, and then we can actually start believing them, and that's the negative side. Same with the violence, right? We need to have aggression and, and antagonism and uh, anger. We need those. Those are things we use, and we use them constructively in lots of places. But there's the negative side, and, you know, how do you temper that? education, support, uh, structures, you know, social structures that, that recognize the, the, that this is a thing and that we're going to have to sort of deal with that, which is what we're doing the best we can with. But clearly, our best isn't very good. And that sucks as an answer, I know. But it's the best I got for you on this Sunday morning as I sit here. Uh, feel free to ask me more about that. But those are just my thoughts off the top of my head. Henny, I, I wish I had solid answers like, oh, well, if we just did this and this and this, all of that would go away. But I don't know how to do that. I, you know, it's uh, it, all I know is how to temper it with emotional intelligence, critical thinking and, you know, uh, appeals to our our humanity you know, and, uh, and bolstering our, our attitudes about human rights. Those things would go a long way uh, towards helping those situations. Ugh. Okay, went on a roll there. Let's see where I did. I miss anything? <laughs> okay, 
Ah, da 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 marriage. Okay. Oh. Oh, okay. I'm going back up the line because I missed some some stuff here. Thank you for being patient with me as I thumb through the comments here. Um. Huh. Garor asks, could Casa Bonita be the official SP org? I sure hope so. Uh, they're opening it now. They're hiring. Apparently, they're hiring like a whole bunch of people at Casa Bonita. Trey and Matt Park. Trey and Matt. Uh, Trey Parker, Matt Stone from South Park have bought Casa Bonita here in Denver. They've renovated it. Now they're hiring all the staff, and hopefully this summer they're opening it, and I will absolutely be there with bells on. Uh, cliff divers, got to see what they're going to do with that. Okay, uh, carrying on here. Vienna, Austria. I just love that. Okay, um, where is hate on the tone scale? Um, it's below anger. I think it's 1.2 or, mm, I can't remember the number. Sorry. I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but it's in the anger band. It's a bit below, uh, anger. Okay. Call call sign Maverick. How should I go about selling the script for my horror film once it's done? Uh, connections, my friend, it is all about networking. (laughs) Uh, Other than that, I have no idea. You know, go meet some people in the industry and uh, shop it around. Okay. um, Okay, super chat. Here we go. Fabian, sorry it took me a while to catch up on that one. Okay, why people take BS backstories as truths, like the one of LRH or Keith Raniere, uh, Keith Raniere, judo champion pianist why don't why didn't they ask the latter to play piano or teach him some judo in the 2000s any theory well yeah i mean generally fabian people are trusting i mean they that's their default position is to believe you not think you're lying to them um that's that's pretty much for across the spectrum where most people are at and they learn over time a healthy degree of caution and you know maybe some distrust but the default position is and probably should be trust you know if somebody tells you something you take them at their word and it's only after they break their word or violate that and you see that they are liars that you would start to treat their words with you know, a little suspicion, right? And uh, and if they keep doing it and keep going and keep lying to you, it's the boy who cried wolf. And then that's just utter disdain for everything they say. But as far as why people don't fact check stuff like that, it's because they have a, it, they, the, 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 the emotional reason, there's, there's a lot of reasons, but the emotional reason is trust is established. And then it feels like a, almost a little bit of a betrayal to fact check the person. Like, well, I trust them. And it would be wrong for me to not trust them because I like them. And if that liking is established, that empathy is established, then the trust is just, it just it's just naturally part of it, you know? Um, it's people who are distrustful or who catch a little red flag or go, wait a minute, something's not right here, who usually then go fact check. Um, maybe we should all do that more often. I, you know, I certainly do believe in a healthy degree of skepticism about bold claims. But if somebody's claiming they were a judo champion or they can play piano, not too many people are like, oh, yeah? 
oh yeah, show me, you know, that comes off as a little bit rude and antagonistic, right? So it's, it's really just social cues and, and, uh, and, and how we, you know, uh, get to know each other. I don't know. I, I, I think that's, but that's the answer off the top of my head. You tell me if that's not satisfactory, if you want more on that one. Uh, okay, let's see what else we got here. Um, thank you very much, though, Fabian, for that super chat. Um, <laughs> what the fuck is a pet peeve? <laughs> something that annoys you, something you find annoying or distracting or that just gets you a little bit. It's not like something you're going to rage about. A pet peeve is more of a minor uh, kind of a thing. Okay. Oh, Henny, yeah, 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 no, no, it's it, being right's part and parcel of this. Okay, so Henny says, being right is so unnecessary, and even if people think they're right, how does that equate to violence? Will we ever evolve? No, because this is another thing. I'm glad you, glad you highlighted this. Is, is, is the, the thing about being right, that's not a small thing. Let's be clear about something here with our psychology. We are, if, if our ego is anything, it is an innate sense of being right. And we have to be right in our decisions more often than we are wrong. Otherwise, we are dying, not surviving. And the entire purpose of the brain and the entire purpose of every cell in your body is to keep going, to survive, to continue to live. And the brain is predicting, it's constantly predicting what's going to happen next. That's its primary um, activity, you could say its function is to regulate the systems of the body. And in order for it to regulate the systems of the body, it needs to know to the best of its ability what's coming next. And it needs to be right about that. And the reason we lose our shit over people who are, you know, acting stupid or acting goofy is because they're they're wrong. They're in a they're in a position of wrongness, and that wrongness assaults our reality because we have a view of what's right, what's good, how the world should look, what is what are the rules, what are the guidelines, how do we how do we get along? All of this stuff that we call our moral foundations and our social agreements and manners, all of that is this little package picture of the world that we carry around with us and we're constantly adjusting it but it's but we have our values our ideas our morals right these are the things that that are that we think of as what makes the world right and the, the more the world conforms with our view of how things are supposed to be the more right everything is and the more right you are and when you are proven wrong it's frustrating. It's upsetting because now your brain isn't doing the job it's supposed to be doing. You're, you're, it's like, hey, wait a minute. I thought I was supposed to be right here. Oh, no, no. You weren't right. You were wrong. I made a wrong calculation. No, now hang on. And up come the defenses first. No, and I, I don't think I'm wrong. I think you're wrong. And, and here's all the reasons why. And the frontal lobes go into action. You know what I'm talking about. It's all this, this stuff that we carry around with us. This is not incidental to our behavior. This is the stuff that drives every single thing we ever do. So when we are wrong and we become frustrated and upset, and that frustration and upset can become targeted to somebody else telling us we're wrong or somehow demonstrating to us our wrongness, 
And our effort to not be wrong can become so strong, our disagreement with that can become so strong that it becomes violent. It's like, no, I'm going to beat you out of existence to prove how right I am rather than agree to how wrong I am because I can't be wrong because that would mean I'm not making right decisions, which would mean I'm failing in life. It's a failed success computation and it's a powerful one. And, it, and there's a lot of components to it. I'm really simplifying a lot of stuff here. But that's basically the, 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 how I see it. That's how I approach these things psychologically. And so, you know, people don't deal with being wrong well at all. It really, really makes some people absolutely bonkers. Uh, that has a lot to do also, by the way, with trauma and past efforts to be right and not being right. Or you were right, but you got beaten down anyway. Those are, those are trauma. Those are trauma episodes. And those, those layer and become a problem to a person, you know, as they build up and, and uh, kind of pile on your head, right? You got failure after failure after failure. After a while, you start thinking you're a failure, but you don't want to be a failure, but you are a failure, but you don't want to be. And that becomes, you know, and you can have uh, all kinds of problems with people because of that. You know, I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm blabbing here, but... It's not, a, it's not a small thing being right, I think, is what I was trying to go with all of that, Henny. And I hope what I just said makes some sense here. Let's see if I'm doing this at all properly. Let's keep going. Yeah, okay, Adam. Um, is, Priscilla, is Priscilla still in? Is it bad of me that when I read this week that she's contesting Lisa Marie's will, that she is doing that to give money to Scientology? Damn it, I really, again, I wish I knew. I don't actually know, okay? I, you're going to ask me about the, about the Presleys, and I'm just going to have to come up with I don't know because I'd rather say that to you than try to make up some bullshit. I, I, I don't know where Priscilla stands right now. I know for positive that Lisa Marie was all the way out of Scientology. She was done. I don't know if her mom followed her or not. I hope so. I've got fingers crossed that she did, um, but I don't know for sure. And and if that's the case that she's still in, then that contesting of her will and money going to Scientology would absolutely be a valid concern, but I'm not sure. Okay. Carry on here. Um, yeah, definitely can't escape the hypocrisy. Uh, Greta, you are very welcome. Thank you very much for that very nice comment there. Throw that up there. All right. Um, yes, yes, for sure. Aha, okay, here's a great question. Do you hate L. Ron Hubbard? No. No, I don't think I do. Um, I hate some of the actions that L. Ron Hubbard took. I feel sad for L. Ron Hubbard. I feel angry at the things that he did to people. I'm angry for them. I'm angry about them. I'm angry about the damage that he did, especially to children. I, there's no forgiving any of that. That's not something I'm, you know, me or anybody else uh, should ever forgive him for or, or give him a pass on. But hate, hate is a strong emotion that, that is self-generated and that festers and destroys your ability to think. And I don't want to have any of that in my life. And I try hard not to hate people. Like, that's a, that's a strong emotion. 
Um, and I don't really feel that way because I feel like I understand the guy. At least I understand him to a degree I never did when I was in Scientology and, and for many years. But I feel like I do now. Um, and so I don't feel the need to, to hate. I just feel sad. I feel he was a pathetic loser kind of figure. Um, but I don't say that in a hateful way. I say it more in, a, in what I think is a, is a fairly objective assessment of the guy in his life. He was a, he was a liar and a loser. But, but I, I don't know. I just don't feel hate there. I just feel, I feel some animosity. I certainly feel like anger. But um, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I think I want to answer that. Um, Joe Duceppo, dear Chris, I believe you received an anonymous email from someone who wanted to know something. What <laughs> are you talking about? <laughs> ah, all right. Um, just since I am uh, curious, uh, no, don't know what email you're referring to. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Um, well, yeah, Joe, that's exactly right. I think that's Joe. I think you're nailing it there. It could be that hate is caused by a conflict of values or morals, and it's an effort to make another guilty of what one considers unethical or immoral. Yeah, very much so. I think that's. I think that has a lot to do with it. I think. I think on top of this sort of value judgment is damage. I think people generate hate or hate comes from the idea that not only is there a disagreement of values, but that the the fact that, that per, the target of your hate is someone who um, is acting on those values in a destructive way. Like you perceive that person as dangerous in some fashion. They're, they're destructive as far as you're concerned. Now, maybe they are and maybe they aren't, but as far as you're concerned, they absolutely are. And hate is this intense drive to stop them, to halt them in their tracks, and if possible, destroy them utterly. Just, just uncreate them. Derez them <laughs> uh, for your Tron likers, uh, you know, uh, re, uh, watchers out there. So, it, it, you know what I mean? It's, it's just make it not exist anymore. That's how I perceive or think about hate. Okay. Um, I got some great questions. This is, these are deep. Vernon, can science prove or disprove that the soul survives death? So far, no. So far, there has been no experiment or effort uh, successfully made to prove that a soul, spirit, or somehow uh, uncorporeal aspect of our lives uh, exists. That period, as far as I can tell. I mean, if somebody can find me a, a study on that, go go for it. But um, but no, you cannot you, you cannot prove that uh, with current instruments and measuring devices and metrics that we use and understand. Let's put it that way. All right. Um, ha! Since I'm a Batman fan, will I ever visit the city Batman in Turkey? Uh, I'm sure I will not. I have zero plans to ever go to Turkey. Um, oh, my God. 
We had a movie night on Doug Scott Kramer's Discord a few weeks ago and watched Battlefield Earth. Have you seen this? Have I seen Battlefield Earth? Yes, I have. There's a movie review of Battlefield Earth on my channel. Uh, You can look it up. And I have commented many times about the ridiculousness of that movie Uh, and the fact that we had to see it uh, five times opening weekend. I saw that movie five times in a row over two days. Uh, because we were trying to goose the numbers so that it would have a successful opening weekend and be a hit. And we failed utterly at that as Scientologists and Sea Org members. We were trying to game the system to make it a hit. And uh, and clearly it was not. It bombed hard as it deserved to. It was a horrible movie. All right. Uh, keep going on here. Yes, yes, yes. Kickapoo Joy Juice. <laughs> okay. Um, Greta Hepburn asks, would you be able to speak about David Mayo? I, I, I could. I mean, David Mayo um, was a man who audited L. Ron Hubbard, became, rose to a position of uh, ultimate tech authority in Scientology. He was the guy who was going to be bequeathed the title of senior technical person in Scientology after Hubbard passed. Um, And he's basically the guy who helped write or invent the upper OT levels, OT levels uh, five, six, and seven. Um, And then he took off from Scientology after, you know, being abused and declared suppressive and thrown under the bus by Hubbard and Miscavige in the mid eighties. And he started his own concern called the advanced, um, what was it? The Advanced Ability Center, AAC, that's right. And that was set up in Santa Barbara, California, which is where I started Scientology uh, in the mid-'80s. And, uh, and that got sued out of existence, and then he disappeared for a long while, and I believe he's dead now. And he had all kinds of stories, and he was making a real effort to make a go of Scientology after leaving it and setting up the center. And this thing was thriving and successful until... They killed it. Scientology proper uh, did away with that through legal uh, chicanery and trademark enforcement, and they got it knocked out. And, of course, not just through legal chicanery, but through an awful lot of fair gaming. I mean, hard, hard. They went in hard on David Mayo and anybody connected with him. And they, you know, talk about ruining people utterly. That's what the church was all about in the 80s. And... Um, yeah, so that's what I can say about about Mayo briefly. If you have anything more specific you want to know, um, let me know. Okay, um, yes, ex-Scientology did bring Leah and me uh, together, ex-Scient. Yes, that is the, that is the case. Okay, um, when did you da-da-da-da-da? Yes, exactly. Uh Huh, that's funny. Huh, Juliana says here that she uh, lived in Twin Cities around the time I was there and seeing a sign in downtown Minneapolis for personality testing. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, 
Vernon asks, is there any truth about the antisocial personality? Yeah, of course there is. Um, the antisocial personality in Scientology is um, an issue and a description of a kind of person who is antisocial. Now, Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard draw the connection that if you're antisocial, that means you're immediately anti-Scientology. Or if you're anti-Scientology, that means immediately that you're antisocial. So that's what constitutes a bad guy in Scientology is you're anti-Scientology. You're not going to go with what L. Ron Hubbard says. But in reality, an antisocial personality is somebody who you know, doesn't, get, doesn't play well with others. And there are all kinds of levels of that from your mild introvert to your full-blown psychotic. And uh, there's a whole spectrum there uh, that can be looked at that it could be considered antisocial. Um, but yeah, that's actually, that's very much a thing. Absolutely. Um, okay. Carry on down the line here. Okay. Da, 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 da. <laughs> no, I do not. Uh, Mel is feeling better. Thank you very much for asking Juliana. Yeah, she's doing quite well. I think I'm getting down to the bottom of the thing here. So if you guys got more questions, fire them at me. Uh, all right, let's see here. Um, okay, guys, be nice to each other in the chat now. Um, yes, David Mayo edited the Tech Dictionary. I still have my copy. That's right. David Mayo edited an awful lot of bulletins. And in fact, he wrote an awful lot of bulletins in Scientology. Um, not only those OT levels, but Mayo had his hands in lots of stuff because he was the senior tech guy. Now, tech in Scientology, that term means all the methods and practices of Scientology. So he was the guy who was going to basically take over for Hubbard in terms of determining whether people were doing Scientology right or not. And uh, clarifying and reworking techniques as needed to make them better or more workable. That was his job. And he embraced that and he was running with it. And so you see references in older Scientology works to David Mayo all over the place. Back when they were a little bit more honest about the signatories and who was responsible for writing stuff. You used to be able to see who was modifying and changing things in Scientology. They did away with all that. That's all gone now. It all just says L. Ron Hubbard, or it doesn't have any byline at all, which basically means it's coming from um, uh, Miscavige. Okay. All right. Um, so... <laughs> yeah, no, you're going to have to be more specific. Okay, anyway, not going to play games with my uh, commenters about my emails, guys. Okay. Um, oh, hey, this is exciting. That's, oh, okay. I think I'm being challenged here by somebody in the comments. This could be interesting. Um, da, 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 da. Somebody's asking about me and Aaron. I don't have anything else to say publicly or privately even. 
in terms of uh, any lingering situation with uh, Aaron or anybody else. I think I made myself clear um, on my channel and in my live streams uh, last week about that, and I don't have anything else to say about it. And if any of y'all are coming around looking for conflict or looking for me to dish or spill tea or talk trash or you know engage in flame wars against other YouTubers or other people in the ex-Scientology world, then you're going to be disappointed. That's not what I'm about, and it's not what I'm doing here. So I'd appreciate it if you guys would stop trying to poke the bear and make out some kind of conflict. It's not needed, it's not necessary, and it does absolutely nothing to forward my work or the work of anybody else to engage in complaints and flame wars with each other. So I'm not going to do it. And that's my statement on the matter. So there you go. Let's carry on. Uh, get... Okay, here's an inter Okay, here's a question I have actually. Nikisha asked, "Did Lisa Marie ever get Michael Jackson to dabble in Scientology?" I wish I knew, and I hope that um, there might be a question or two uh, about that in Tony's interview with Lisa Marie because it's something I have wondered about forever. But I don't think anything. We know for sure nothing ever came of it. If he ever did dabble at all in Scientology. Clearly nothing came of it. And we can all basically be very, very thankful for that. Because if Michael Jackson started endorsing Scientology when he was alive, it would have put Tom Cruise to shame in terms of the effect it would have had on people flooding into Scientology to find out all about it and join up. Michael Jackson's fan base was gigantic. And um, that would have been a real problem. So... Thankfully, that didn't happen, um, but I don't have any details on the inside skinny on that one. Sorry. Um, Nick Bravo asks, do you think Hubbard's upbringing in Tilden, Nebraska helped make him a bad person, considering how badly children were treated at the time? That's a very interesting question, Nick, but the truth is that L. Ron Hubbard had an actually very good upbringing. He was not an abused child. He was very loved and cared for, in fact. He had an absent father. His father was off uh, in the Navy a lot. And that probably had an effect on him. But I'm not going to lay all the blame for Hubbard's megalomania and narcissism and, and pathological liar status, you know, to the fact that his dad wasn't around very often. He, um, all the evidence uh, that we have from Russell Miller's biography, from John Atack's writings, is that Hubbard was a loved and cherished child. So I don't think that was actually a factor. I do believe, though, in answering your question, that Hubbard was very much a product of turn-of-the-century Midwest America in terms of his racist values and some of his... Uh, um, yeah, not the religious stuff, but I would say some of the social stuff and um, certainly a product of his times in terms of being able to get away with telling tall tales and stories and trying to be this larger than life figure that people would look up to and admire. Hubbard was all about that. And uh, and I'm sure his upbringing had something to do with with creating that character, um, but but not a not an abused kid as far as we can tell. Um. Oh, okay. More chapters to my interview style videos. All right, I'll see what I can do about that. Um, okay, moving on here. 
Okay, got it. So let's go back here. Sorry, I jumped to the end real fast. Okay, question Ellie May. Uh, hi, Ellie. And I, by the way, I saw your wonderful comments the other night and didn't comment on those specifically, but thank you very much for your kind words about my, my work here. Um, she asks, I'm in Canada. Don't ever hear of any Scientology. Is it less prevalent in Canada? Yeah. Scientology is hardly existent in Canada at all. We're talking about a couple hundred people. It really? I mean, it's tiny as far as active membership in Canada. So, um, I mean, I will go out on a limb and say it a str- maybe a stretch. Let's say there's a thousand active Canadians in Scientology. Maybe. That's, I mean, maybe I should eat my words, but I believe that that's true. So that's, that's, uh, that's my take on that. All right. And let's go ahead and get rid of that because that's not fun. Um, no. Uh, Juliana asks, is David Mayo the one who was supposed to have OT9 and 10? Um, no. Uh, Mayo uh, got out of Scientology and was no longer involved with it, got kicked out before any of the OT9 and 10 stuff. I think it was 1983 or 1984 when he was declared and booted. And so all that 9 and 10 stuff, and, the, and we, that, we don't know what the genesis of all that stuff is exactly, but it wasn't Mayo's work. That was uh, Hubbard and Ray Midoff, who was the guy who ended up taking over for Mayo as the senior technical guy had to put all that together. And uh, how he went about doing that, I don't have the specific story, but he was the guy who did it. As we, we can look to Ray Midoff for, uh, for the first initial releases of OT, uh, OT8. 9 and 10 are not anywhere. There, are, there is no OT9 and 10. I'm sorry if I was, I was referring to OT8 uh, it, in all of that answer there. Okay. Um, Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, Who exactly were your execs when you were in the Sea Org? Were you around for the likes of Prince, or was your time purely Rathman, etc.? Well, I was in the the Sea Org from 1995 to 2012. So, uh, so yeah, Rathman was around. Jesse Prince was out in the 80s. I never interacted with Jesse Prince or knew even knew much about him. Uh, or any of the original RTC execs or any of those people. I was middle management. I was not upper, upper int management. So my people were the International Executive Committee, Guillaume Lesev, when he was still around running things as Executive Director International, and Ray Midoff, and Mike Rinder. He was a senior exec the whole time I was in the Sea Org until he left. Um, Rathbun as well, Miscavige. Those were the crew of people that I was listening to and paying attention to. All right. Uh, carrying on here. Let them figure it out. Da, 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 da. So they declared under Mayo. Oh, that's interesting, Greta, about David Mayo. This comment here about how he was de- somebody was declared under Mayo and they said it wasn't valid because he was an SP. Yeah, they'll say anything to get people back in. I used to do that kind of work. I, I understand how that works. Uh, but no, Mayo was just, uh, just another guy who became a victim of Scientology. Um, okay. Da, 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 da. 
Yes, thank you guys um, for your comments here. Yes, drama, drama, drama. All right. Um, thanks, guys. Started doing drama. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Nick, let me just address this a little bit more for you. Um, Hubbard's abuse of children would indicate his attitude about children and his own experience as a child. Yes and no. Uh, it's an assumption, but in this case, it's a wrong one. Um, I'll just go out on a limb and say that. Um, it, you're absolutely right that there is a cycle of abuse and that parents who abuse their kids often were abused as kids themselves, but not always. Sometimes you just have predatory people or people who cannot control their temper, have very serious anger management issues through no fault of their parents and not because they were traumatized or victimized by their parents. Uh, and they end up taking that out on their kids. And L. Ron Hubbard was a unique personality that way. Uh, he was not, I don't, I don't see any evidence in the data we have that he was a um, product of a traumatic or poor upbringing. It's not a bad set of questions, Nick, at all, or even unreasonable assumptions. But in this case, the, it, it, we just don't see it that way according to the data we have on Hubbard. And by we, I mean people like me, John A. Tack, Russell Miller, uh, types. Okay. All right. Um, how are we doing on time? Okay. We got about 12 more minutes. Let's keep going here. Um, thanks for sticking it out with me here, folks. I, I know my answers have been a little all over the place today. I hope this is coming out more rationally than it seems in my, in my head as I think about this. Uh, Frostfire64. Chris, do you think any form of political extremism is a cult or can you have strong value system without being culty? Well, when you start using the word extremism, then I'm going to say, yeah, no, now you're getting into cult territory. That's exactly, they're, they're synonymous. I mean, extremism is, is, is so far down a spectrum that you refuse to or are incapable of considering other ideas or alternative uh, views or interpretations. That's an extremist point of view from, my, from how I think about things. So that is the definition of culty. That's exactly what you don't want. You know, if, if you're trying to pursue rational, reasonable thinking and a clear-headed, objective frame of mind about things, then you can understand a point of view that is extreme, but that doesn't mean you partake in it or, you are, or that you um, take it upon yourself or make it part of your own identity. That's where we lose the plot. And that's where we lose the ability to keep, to keep thinking about that topic rationally because we're, we're all in. We've accepted it fully and now it's part of us. And it's, and it's how we define ourselves and think about ourselves is I am a fill in the blank with whatever your extremist point of view is. And that's the entire problem with our psychology is that we have the ability to do that, to go all in on a thing to an unreasonable, to a point of unreasonability. And, um, and that is why um, politics gets so culty is because people go so extreme on it. And it has to do with that right-wrong thing I was talking about earlier, about predicting the future and where you're going and wanting to be on the right side of things and thinking that your side is all right, is all good, is the ones that are leading the charge toward, you know, uh, you, you know universal wonderfulness. 
And we all delude ourselves about those kinds of things and about the things we get involved in. And that's, that's, our, that's our trouble, right? That's the problem with us. You can have, now to finish answering this question though, you can have a strong value set without being culty. It's all a matter of your emotional investment. That's where I try to differentiate. You know, you can understand a thing um, and you can be, you know, in, in firm agreement with it. But if you, but, but keep your, keep, temper that with not allowing your emotions to, to regulate your belief. Maybe that might be a good way of putting it. Okay. Um, see if that's useful at all. Uh, huh, maybe. Interesting. Okay. Okay, uh, Xcyan asks, did you ever have any dealings with the Inglewood Ideal Org? I did not. I knew about it. It was being built. It was being handled, but it was always out of our hands. I was in management for the Western United States, but the Ideal Orgs, especially Harlem and Inglewood, uh, in the East and West were both run by special projects and we were never connected with establishing them, recruiting for them, building them up or doing much of anything with them from our position in management because it was always somebody else's job basically and that's why I didn't have a whole lot to do with it or even really understand. I didn't even know where it was. I didn't even know where Inglewood was for a long time when I was in the Sea Org out there. So uh, that's how little I had to do with it directly. I only heard about it. Um, oh, thank you. Okay. I hope that, I hope, uh, Piggly Pie, this, this comment is in reference to me. Thank you. If it is, thank you very much. Um, Vernon asks, did you know that Mike Rinder's baby child died when you were in Scientology? I did not. I had no idea that Mike Rinder even had a family. We were not privy to the private lives of international executives. It didn't work that way in Scientology. They were names and post titles. Mike Rinder was the commanding officer of the Office of Special Affairs, period. That's it. That's all I knew him as. Mark, Marty Rathbun was the in, inspector general for ethics, or he was uh, you know, some international executive, and that's it. That's all I knew about the guy. Um, I knew he had a wife because his wife was posted in Los Angeles and uh, she was an RTC representative and she was, you know, this kick-ass woman on the base who would, uh, you know, kill you as soon as look at you. And that's the only reason I knew that she was married to Marty is because they had the same last name. Otherwise, I didn't know anything about their personal or private lives. It was always uh, not a subject for discussion or uh, to talk about and tragedy amongst that level of people never filtered down to us, at least not in my social circles uh, at all. I never knew about any of that stuff. Um, okay, cool. Carrying on here. Oh, I'm going to think about this one for a second. Eileen asks, could you explain why compromise has become such a dirty word and what can be done about it? 
I think it's the, actually the result of uh, fake news misinformation campaigns. I think we are so inundated with them and we and our emotions, you know, we, we, we fall into them so easily and take sides and line up and all that. I think we're so easily riled up that that's one of the reasons why we have lost sight of the fact that compromise is the key principle in a democracy uh, across the spectrum. I mean, both in our government and legislative process, but also in social understandings you know when you got a society in a country as big as the united states is as the western world is um you know you got to learn how to compromise because not everybody gets their way that's the system we've got you know the 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 system where everybody where 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 somebody gets their way all the time is called authoritarianism and the only way that system works is it's one guy who gets his way all the time. And everybody else suffers. So we don't want that. So instead, we have a system where nobody gets their way all the time. At all. Everybody has to compromise. Because it's impossible to have a social system or structure where everybody gets their way all the time. Right? It's impossible. So we have to compromise. This is so obvious. It's such common sense that you wouldn't think you'd have to explain it to people. But in this divided age of riled up emotions and violent tempers, people lose sight of this in a microsecond. And we've got to get that back. And the only way I know how to do that is bring the temperature down. And I don't know how to do that on a group basis, on a broad basis, because there's too many organizations, news organizations, media organizations, powerful individuals across the spectrum who are so interested in keeping all of us at each other's throats, and we are such willing participants in that struggle. We just go all in on taking sides. I mean, look, even today, I can't do a Q&A without people coming at me about taking sides. It's everywhere. And it's ridiculous, but it's what we do. It's, it, it's the tribalism that's built into us. Um, so that's, that's the struggle. That is the essence of the struggle. And the only way I know how to deal with it is keep yourself chill, keep yourself calm as much as you can, try to look at both sides, apply critical thinking, you know, apply some emotional intelligence. At an individual level, that's the only way I know how to deal with it. At a broad level, if that's the purpose of propaganda, and most propaganda is being used to rile us up, not calm us down. And I, and I wish we could, you know, turn the, the, the page on that somehow. Um, and, it, and we have to if we're going to make it. So I, I hope that eventually, uh, you know, some, some sense and sensibility enters into all of this stuff. Okay, that's my, that's my flash answer for you. I know it's, you know, hard, probably not fulfilling, but... Um, okay, Love Food Kitchen asks me, did you ever meet a Hubbard? Diana is the obvious, or Suzette was in the next longest, I think. I think I know they still wheel Diana out occasionally. Yes, I did meet Diana Hubbard. Uh, I was in the same room as her, had a very, very brief interaction with her, was duly impressed. She had incredibly red hair. Uh, very nice woman to me. She, she treated me very well. Um, 
And that was my run-in with her. I, you know, was so sort of starstruck and dumbfounded. It didn't even occur to me as a Sea Org member at the time. I didn't know shit about, you know, all the things I know now. So I didn't even, it didn't even dawn on me to ask her a bunch of questions about Ron or the family or the ship or anything. I was not in that situation with her where I could do that. So it was really just kind of yes or no sir kind of stuff, but it was um but I noted how nice she was. I it was she was somebody I wanted to talk to more. And I wish I'd had the opportunity to do that. It was only the one time. Um okay, you are very welcome. And let's see here. Going to cruise on down. Just do probably another one or two questions, and I think we'll have to wrap up, guys. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> I do not know. Do not know. Um, Okay, I will put this up there. I have not been following the arguments going back and forth here today uh, with some of the commenters, and I know that's going to happen from time to time, but I am going to ask that we please, um, let's at least be respectful and kind to one another here. If we can, I'd appreciate that. Okay. Um, I don't want people coming to my channel and having a horrible, torturous experience if I can, ha- if I can do anything about it. Um, yeah. All right. Um, da, 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 da. And Love Food Kitchen asks, where's the guy who used to ask the amazing comedy questions gone? Used to be a lot of flash answers, his questions, he replies. I think you're talking about Red Pill uh, 2000 or Red Pill 3000. I can't remember. He's back. He, he got blocked for a little while, but, but he's back now. So uh, if he appears on the live streams, he will uh, throw his comments up. But he's, he's around. Uh, okay. Da, 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 da. Okay, let's do this one last one and then we'll wrap up. Did you ever worry about a retirement plan while in ST? I wonder about the super bad personal finances. Um, I never, it went, I guess you're asking about when I was in the Sea Org. I don't know what ST means, but I, um, as far as a retirement plan, I never, never thought one would be needed. I never thought one would be necessary. I was all in. Never occurred to me that the Sea Org was not going to take care of me or that I would never have, you know, three squares and a roof over my head and, you know, clothes on my back and all that. I figured the Sea Org was always going to take care of those things. So I never paid any attention to it at all. Oops. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. Okay. Um, who's my favorite philosopher? Um, I'm going to say Socrates, just because I think the Socratic method of questioning in order to bring about cognitive change is absolutely brilliant. And that's Socratic method. And I, and I just, I love Socrates for that, or at least that, you know, that's been credited to him. So he's my, he's my, he's my guy. He's my, he's my philosopher. All right. And I think that is, um, yeah, exactly. Building your contract kind of excludes a retirement plan. Exactly. Okay, guys, good stuff. So let's go ahead and, uh, wrap up the show. We've been going at it a little bit more than an hour. 
Um, I hope this was a decent show for you guys. We had, we were kind of all over the place. I, um, I'm being really self-critical today, but I hope that uh, my answers were entertaining, informative, and educational in some fashion or another for you all. I really appreciate you coming around. Thank you very much for the super chats. I very much appreciate that, always. And I want to encourage you to uh, like, share, distribute my content around the internet. It's the only way I know how to share this stuff and reach the people out there who need to be reached. I also do want to put a quick plug in. I do consulting. I do it professionally. I've helped people. I've really done it. I've really helped people. And maybe I can help you too. If you need any kind of consulting, I am not a therapist. I am not going to give you therapy. But I can lend an understanding ear and some general advice and direction to people either who are needing help with somebody who is in a cult or getting somebody out of a cult or for those of you who have been in coercive situations or destructive situations and you just want some help getting your feet on the ground or you want somebody to listen to uh, you or something like that, uh, you can always reach reach out to me and we can arrange something on that. So got to put that out there. That all being said. See you guys next week. Bye-bye.